Thank you so much to our music ministry team. Let's take a moment to pray. And as I pray in the I am, please know that I am speaking for each of us, knowing there is only one power and presence in the universe. And that power is my power right here and right now. That power is aligned with me, is within me, and I can use that power to continuously create a world that works for everyone. And I celebrate the Centers for Spiritual Living. I celebrate this center knowing that I am doing God's work through me, that I am contributing to this world, to making this world a kinder, more loving place for each of us to live. And I celebrate and acknowledge the power of prayer, that I can declare and receive that which I prefer, that I can declare and receive more good, because God is good. God knows only good. And I celebrate and acknowledge that all of this is mine to share and to care. I'm grateful that this is the truth, that I have the opportunity to come together with like-minded others to pray and to continuously create a better world. And together we say, and so it is. Now it is my pleasure to introduce our speaker this morning, a woman who has devoted herself to teaching others, a woman who has also devoted herself to our center by being the chair of our board for over one year and a member of our center for over seven years. She is a business teacher in international culture at McEwen University and here to talk with us about International Day of Service. Please welcome Jennifer Bowerman. Welcome, everybody. When I was asked to give this presentation, I wrote a lot of stuff thinking, oh, this is great. And then I realized that the theme was the International Day of Service. And so I scratched it all and started again, because it seemed to me that talking to you today should be about service and what it is, and it's complicated. Take that from me. So, um, when I last came, I talked to you about um, life being curly and how we spend a lot of time trying to straighten it out when perhaps we shouldn't. Um, especially since I've been a board chair for the past year and a bit, it feels as though I've been on a huge journey of personal growth. It's impacted my life professionally and personally and spiritually. Um, as a board chair and as an integral member here, getting to know you all has provided me with a way of thinking and being both of which have expanded my thought processes and been transformational. I feel as though I am different. 
I carry something else in my heart. I have stretched and continued on a trajectory that I never would have guessed was possible. Last time I talked about change and how life is unpredictable, and it is, even though we think we've got it all figured out. And, um, you know, the fact is, it is curly. And as I said before, perhaps we spend too much time trying to straighten it out rather than accept those little curls that bother us. So today we celebrate a World Day of Service. And it seemed to me that I should wrap my presentation into a service framework, perhaps as much as we want to celebrate a World Day of Service, Service is more than a day. For us here, for many of us here, it is our life. So I'm going to start this presentation by asking you to kind of jump right into what service is to you. So what I would like you to do is talk to one or two people who are sitting next to you and just you know, immediately, without doing any deep philosophical thinking about what service is, just address the questions, what is service to me, and how do I practice service? So if you could do that for me, even if you don't know the people next to you, I know it's always a bit scary, students hate me when I do this, <laughs> but if you could actually get involved in thinking about what's, what is, just what is service? because I've really been challenged this past few weeks thinking about it, and what do I do that really gets to what service is for me? So just, just spend a couple of minutes. I, it's all right, it's not a test. There's no right answer. And uh, if you could just kind of start your brains churning in terms of what service is. I would really like that, thank you. So, you know, every teacher loves to hear that buzz in the room. It's great, because it means that you're really thinking about the question. And I'm sorry to have to break it up so soon, but I don't have a lot of time here. So, does anybody have any comments about what service is? Can anybody just... Giving back. Great. Anything else? Not just service to others, but service to self. Service to self, which is one of the things I'm going to be talking about later. What else? Anybody else have a... Sorry? No, not telling anybody what to do, and just being a presence, not a person. Right. Yeah, just being a presence, that's so important. It gets me goosebumps, actually. You know, um, I, I, I'm a member of uh, an organization called Centerpoint, run by a guy called Bill Harris, and Bill Harris tells an amazing story, and none of this is in my presentation, but Bill Harris tells an amazing story about how he was really working with a group of absolutely non-savable juveniles who had been in 
I mean, I'm, I'm kind of generalizing <laughs> about what he just, how, what, how he described them. But he was working a place called, I think it was Beaver Lodge or Beaver Point in, in the US. And he talks about how the Dalai Lama and some of his colleagues who are also Buddhist priests went in to talk to these guys. And they didn't have to say anything, just their very presence of peace and humanity and caring had an amazing effect on these, on these delinquents. It was very, it, it's a story that's always stuck with me about what service is. And you know, there are so many definitions of service. What is service? Well, it's compassion, it's being unselfish, as if we can, as if we always leave our egos behind when we do anything for somebody else. It is, I think, doing something for others without expecting reward or gain. It's helping without expectation. It's helping people when they are unable to complete a task for themselves. Being in service to others reminds us of our humanity. It's a chance to share our life's experience with others and realize that we're not so unique and that those experiences were not so unique. Being in service, as someone said here, is, is an opportunity to be in service to ourselves, so it helps us to feel better about ourselves and it helps us to feel better about our world. It's an opportunity to share our goodness with others because we all want to leave this world a better place and sometimes that seems like a difficult task. I, suspect, uh, I knew that the answers would be mixed but the nature of service is very mixed. Sometimes we think that service is giving huge donations and charitable donations to various nonprofits. Yay, I get a tax return. Um, sometimes, you know, doing the sorting out thing, clearing out the junk from our closets, the clothes we haven't worn for years, and giving them to various charitable nonprofits. Sometimes it's personal help with the food bank which we do really well. The mustard seed, we do really well. This center, putting pamphlets together, greeting people. There are so many kinds of service and just about every person here is involved in service. Being involved in service reminds us of our common humanity. It allows us to share, it makes us feel better and as I said before, it, it's our one opportunity to leave the world a better place than the way we found it. But in our rapidly changing world, um, we understand that we need to do something to cope with that change. And so by listening, sharing, caring, helping people, even selling raffle tickets is a service 
Sometimes it feels like, oh, not again. Not another raffle ticket for a football game I'm never going to. But it's a service to our community. All of it recognizes that there isn't any separation from each other. That being of service provides a quality that adds to who we are. In service and through acts of service, we not only help people to make the world a better place, we are making ourselves better human beings. We are giving ourselves hope and connection in what sometimes seems to be a very hopeless and frightening and depressing world. Service is about love in the end. What a wonderful, warm, fuzzy concept. You know, we kind of make fun of love, but it's something that's pretty important in our lives. But being of service is challenging. And a couple of stories that have happened recently are going to explain some of that challenge. I mean, you know, personally, I always thought I was a pretty kind person. I care about people. I care about the state of the world but I've had to really check my thinking process in the past few weeks because I've discovered that my capacity for service isn't always so predictable. You know, you're never going to believe this, but sometimes I come across as a white, middle-class, English-accented, know-it-all, older woman who, every time she engages in conversation, or activities with people who aren't like her comes across as really judgmental. Yeah. Is that really me? Well, it's not who I want to be. It's not who I've come here to be. Um, but I, you know, intellectually, I embrace the idea of service and the ideals and compassion that go with it. But I have to tell you that I'm not always so successful at acting those ideals out. Take, for example, my latest story. I live on Kinnaird Ravine. I chose that spot because I wanted to live near trees, near nature, and see green space. My previous home overlooked a car park and another building. Now I still overlook a car park, but beyond it is a gorgeous, wooded, and naturally treed area a ravine. We're very fortunate in Edmonton to have these spaces. I hear the magpies arguing when I wake up. I hear the woodpecker pecking on the metal post just down the lane. I see flocks of chickadees in the woods. I see the squirrels making love and the coyotes slinking by. They don't always look so nice and kind. Sometimes they wake me up at night with their chorus of high-pitched yowls and yips. But it's a pleasure. I have the pleasure of living next to one of the largest urban forests in North America. And I feel very blessed. But not only do I see the wonders of nature in my ravine, I also get to see the very desperation of humanity. 
Because my ravine isn't only a place of peace and nature, it's also home to possibly thousands of people who choose to live there. The homeless, the addicts, the marginalized, and the mentally confused. Many of these people are of our First Nations, but not all. But we have to remember their ancestors were the original people who lived on this land before we took it from them. Now these people who have migrated to our, to our uh, city, who build hundreds of small tents and tarpaulium cities of their own, live right next to me. They trek to their temporary homes with their preferred mode of transportation. Anybody know what it is? Walking and grocery carts, right? Grocery carts overflowing with the stuff that you and I have thrown out or given to charity shops or taken from garbage and recycled containers. Actually, when I came in this morning, there was someone fast asleep right next, outside here, right next to the double doors with their grocery cart. I was so impressed with Sue because I've, I'm a bit intimidated these days, but Sue actually said, oh, I must find a pack for him, and she found a little bag with goodies, and she probably, I don't know whether she woke him or not, and who knows whether he was asleep or stoned, it doesn't really matter, but it was a reminder that we don't all live in the world that I live in. So, you know, I feel sad when I see these people, but when I see them together, talking at McDonald's or living in the River Valley or being with each other, you know, sometimes it reminds me of that movie, City of Joy, which was filmed in Calcutta. People who are so marginalized from the outside, in fact, represent a certain spirit of joy and community that many of us in our middle class and separate lives, such as myself, have never achieved. But Edmonton isn't India, it's not Calcutta. This is my back door. And though there is a certain amount of joy and community, there's a certain amount of tragedy too. A tragedy of urban squalor, a tragedy of poverty, a tragedy of inequality that money and giving stuff doesn't, just doesn't seem to address. Just a couple of weeks ago, on a Thursday night, Randy and Jessica and their small dog, Tito, decided to build a home by the Canard Bridge. It so happened that my neighbors and I had just had a meeting with two constables from the Edmonton City Police about persuading the city to clear some of the clumps of bushes from this particular area. The clumps located in a park hide a lot of activities, and that puts people off. It makes it a bit of a scary place to be. And we have children going through there to school. It's not a park. It becomes a place of squalor and sadness, really, and mess. The clumps 
wild, overgrown, and kind of getting in the way, serve to hide the groups of people who set up their residences there. So that when we spied the new tent city, and we had already been involved with the police in terms of changing the environment. Because you know, I, I suppose some, many of you have read Malcolm Gladwell, he talks about uh, people are less inclined to make a big mess if the area that is presented is, is clean and manicured. And actually, I've said that to 311, to the city. I said, why don't you manicure the area? And they said, oh, we don't do that. It's wild. Well, it's not so wild when a whole bunch of people are living there in a lifestyle that you don't really understand. So once we had met with these police officers, and this happened at the new tent city, suddenly was there, we all became involved in getting it out. We called the police, we called 311, and we called 211. There was a lot of movement, a lot of packing and unpacking, and a lot of grocery carts. And the following morning, yeah, the following morning, much of their stuff was loaded on the lane by the wall behind the tattoo parlor. Randy was wearing kind of one of those jump work suits, and he was going through everything there, item by item. Notice, if you can, there's a little dog kennel there, cute, for Tito, right? Um, Jessica, his red-headed girlfriend, was wheeling the stuff from the lane where it had been parked to the dog park, just down the lane a bit further. Jessica was a tall, lean, willowy, red-headed woman. She danced as she moved the stuff away. The little dog, when I took my dog for a walk and took some more photographs so that I could show my colleagues and the police how far the movement had come, was just delighted to see my dog. You know, the nice thing about dogs is they don't make judgments. They actually like each other. So there were these two little dogs wagging their tails, sniffing their noses at each other, but Randy quickly pulled the dog away because he knew that I was a critical person. And Jessica told me in no uncertain terms to F off and mind my own business. They slowly wheeled their dog carts down to the lane, down the lane to the dog park, and set up another home in the bushes. Maybe a hundred yards away. That night it poured with rain. A week later, much of their stuff is there, despite numerous calls to the city to clean it up. And I want to read you an email from a concerned citizen who lives fairly close to me that I just received. Busy day today, shopping cart with dumped items at Sheriff Robertson Playground yesterday. It was still there this morning. I started down the trail and discovered another fully loaded cart tossed down the hillside. More litter behind the first retaining wall and up the hillside including a large insulated tape. I climbed up the hillside and found an occupied campsite, which looked as though it had been there a long time. I called 311 with a location. An hour later, I noticed a park ranger across 82nd Street on the south side of the Kinnaird Ravine. 
The ranger came over and I showed him the newly discovered campsite. He called for reinforcements and the cleanup crew and the individuals were evicted. The cleanup crew removed the carts, the litter and the campsite. The park ranger then visited two camps in Dawson below my house. One had been abandoned in the past two days. The other one on the trail was occupied and notice to leave was given. I have just come back from the abandoned camp with Vanessa, who is responsible for needle pickup for the city. 14 discarded needles along with numerous needle tips were picked up. Cleanup crew has been notified to remove the tent and other debris. As a side note, the park ranger said that the infamous Jessica is now deceased. He wasn't sure when, but he said it was from natural uh, causes. Yes, the beautiful, willowy, dancing, red-haired Jessica had made her transition. And I was so sad. I even felt a little guilty. Perhaps I hadn't done enough, been enough. Well, I have to tell you that the story isn't quite that way. There's another ending, which I only learned about yesterday, from the two city police officers who we had contacted when the tent city first emerged. Those guys do such a job. They talk to the people, they help them, they explain, they give them resources to contact. They told us it was another Jessica who had died, not the beautiful red-headed dancer. Here is the real ending, and I'm so grateful that this is the ending that I discovered. Randy, Jessica, and the little Tito were fortunate enough, as a result of the noise we made to 211 and 311, to find affordable housing. They're living with a roof over their head and a dry place to make their home. It's not necessarily a ha ever, happy ever ending, happy ever after ending, because we never know how things end. But for now, they're better off than they were two or three weeks ago. Mind you, they left most of their stuff in the bush. So they'll be starting again, presumably. But yes, although it didn't feel like I was of service when I was complaining to the city, um, and I felt mad because I had annoyed them and they had told me, and I invaded their privacy and they had told me to mind my own effing business, the outcome was better than I could have expected. My busybodiedness and intervention had had a positive effect. So why am I telling you that? Because we can all get annoyed about the homeless and how undeserving they can be. How they can seem to throw our generosity back in our face. So I'm not telling you it to make you sad or mad, rather to get thinking, as I have done, about really what service is. Caring, sharing, and loving are wonderful concepts, except for people who don't want it, or who don't want to accept it from us. So what can we do? Calling the city isn't really an answer, it's part of it maybe, and neither is just giving them my leftover stuff. The fact is that we live in a world of stark contradictions that stare us in the face every time we switch on the TV or open the internet. I see the paradox 
of giving stuff which only becomes a temporary solution to long-term issues, one of poverty and inequality. I've been to Kibera in Nairobi, one of the largest slum cities in the world. I remember the sewage flowing through the streets. There weren't streets, the trails, right outside where people were living. If you died there, you got wheeled out in a wheelbarrow. There was no way in and no way out. The little children would run and grab your heart, hand and say, how are you, how are you? And then they would, you would be warned, don't take them too far because they can't find their way home. It was a city of joy, but a city of despair too. I've seen the slums of Sao Paulo with their big, rich high-rises right next door. And yet, never did I think that something similar would be here in my own city. And yet, it was Brazil that I was reminded of that saying, that famous saying that says, give a man a fish and feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and feed him for a lifetime. That saying has such resonance. It's reflected in the flyer, the hearts flyer that we had. Give a hand up, not a hand out. It's not just about helping in the short term. It's a rec about recognizing the humanity and strength in others. I support education and programs that have as their creed built into them lifelong learning. Politically, I will only support a government that su supports education and public health and health care. I don't care about the rest. That's what being of service to our city, our humanity is. Learning builds resilience, and in building resilience, it builds hope. Anger, sadness, annoyance, giving up in the face of human and spiritual poverty are all emotional reactions to things we feel we should be able to impact. We find it difficult to give and not expect something in return, as someone out there said. So we get angry, judgmental, and stressed. Damn it all, I put my most beautiful dress in the charity box. After not wearing it for many years, but caring for it, it was so hard for me to give it up in my dreams. Someone would select it and wear it and care for it, just as I had. And now, look at it. It's in the, it's in the dumpster. It's destroyed, dirty, trampled on, and it's being carried around in a grocery cart. I give my money to a particular charity and then they go and spend it on things I don't approve of. Imagine that. They pay their staff too much. They don't treat the people they are supposed to be helping very well. There are so many stories like that. I've had to realize that being of service is not about controlling or owning the outcomes. I give or offer service because I believe it is the right thing to do. I carry the compassion in my heart, a cause that I believe in, but I have no control over the outcomes. We can all lead horses to water, but we can't make them drink. And if it doesn't drink and we get mad with ourselves and vow never to be kind to that 
horse again, then what kind of service is that? After all, what good is being of service to help others if it just makes us angry and stressed? There's a famous saying, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. We each have, sorry, we each have a personal threshold that allows us to handle what is coming at us from our environment. The threshold is based on a paradigm of how we see life. When circumstances push us over this threshold, we lash out, we react, we become judgmental. Sometimes we become just plain depressed. We resist the chaos and the misery that we see all too often by hardening our hearts. And we become annoyed when people don't do as we think they should. So the challenge is to learn to grow and accept that. This is who we are too. We can offer our help the best way we know how because the cause is in our heart, but in the end, we all have free will. We are the fortunate ones because we're here at this center and we know this. The world changes and we can be a witness to that change. We can carry our beliefs and our values in our heart and we can know that being in service to others is a life-enhancing act. We can change with the world and we can become stronger and more resilient. We have no need to become a victim. We can increase our capacity for conscious change. The Dalai Lama said that becoming aware is the first step in transformation. When our service doesn't have the results we want, we don't stop and harden our hearts. We just keep on trucking, knowing we are doing the right thing by being who we were meant to be. For when we are in service to others, we are in service to ourselves. Instead of using service as a means of control and, burn, and, and the effect is to burn us out, um, let's make the tragedy we have no need to make the tragedy ours. We have no need to carry it on our backs. We can take a different approach. We can see service in a way that is also service to ourselves. And we have this amazing center that can help us do this. This isn't just an ideology, a book, a set of principles that we pay lip service to. It's a life-transforming foundation for action with practices all of which help us to build our resilience and our capacity for a service that isn't draining, but is life-enhancing. This wonderful spiritual center with its wonderful board of trustees, and they're amazing, the incredible membership, the community, the education programs, our seminars through the Q process, are second to none in providing a means of feeding ourselves spiritually and in sharing that sustenance with others, our families, our loved ones, our colleagues, in every single aspect of our life. We are tearing down the walls of separation in the realization that we are all one. We have our amazing power of eight groups, which have as their very foundation 
prayers for others. We have our spirit groups. By joining those, we share our commitment to service with others. We spread our ripples, and we ourselves become stronger and resilient. In the sure knowledge that this is who we came here to be, we practice meditation, knowing that this practice builds resilience and healing. So what are my bottom line thoughts on service, what it is and how it should be? It doesn't matter. Being in service is an aspect of who we are. Sometimes we'll give more, sometimes we will listen better, sometimes we will get sick of our cause because it isn't working for us, and we will stop being in service, but don't let it get you down. Remember, it is about what is in your heart and the person you want to be. We can't always control the outcomes we see, but we can always be the person we want to be. And so this is my final slide. At the end of life, what really matters is not what we bought, what we bought, sorry, I can't see very well, what we bought out, but what we built. Not what we got, but what we, we shared. Not our competence, but our character and not our success, but our significance. Live a life that matters. Live a life of love. Thanks, everybody. And I forgot to end with, and so it is. <laughs>